This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. last time you rode a bike it's been a very very long time (laughs) were you a bike kid growing up i mean i rode a bike sometimes what's a bike kid is it like a box card child no just live my life on a bike is that what you're asking sort of like i grew up in a neighborhood where i i did not ride bikes anywhere like i wasn't like oh i'll just ride my bike to your house we'll hang out and eat potato chips and then i'll go home like that's not it was like, my mom will drive me to your house, and your mom will supply the potato chips, and then my mom will come back and get me after we have eaten all of the potato chips. Why? Who are these people who ride bikes everywhere? It's like kids on TV, I guess. Maybe. Maybe there were none of these. Maybe these kids are not is real. Is that where, you, where this is coming from? <laughs> Jeez, what a spooky conversation. It's so spooky. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Well, and I don't bring this up to be spooky. I bring this up because I have, uh, I started riding a bike in the past like two weeks through a, like a bike share program. And it's pretty cool, mm-hmm. but it's not a thing I did. A, like I learned to ride a bike, but I did not ride it a lot growing up. So it's been interesting. Thankfully, I mean, I've only fallen off once in the what? few weeks. Really? I did fall. Yeah. This is way more interesting than your weird hypothetical bike kid <laughs> scenario. Why did you fall off the bike? I, I think it was mostly my fault. I was trying to avoid a car that was parallel parking, and I <laughs> and I hit. Uh, well, because I was in the bike lane and they were parallel parking, which goes through the bike lane, so you kind of have to slide into regular traffic area. Uh, and as I was doing that, I must have hit like a slick spot or something in my the tires just skidded out from under me um i'm okay don't worry oh yeah that was my next question i know are you okay i can tell you looked so concerned well you're right here podcasting obviously you're fine it's true you don't know you didn't bang up your melon no i didn't i banged up my hip real bad though my hip still hurts but it was just interesting because i have not riding a bike was not a thing i did for like immense recreation as a child it was just kind of a thing I learned to do and then promptly stopped doing. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting to like ride as an adult and be like, hey, bikes are pretty cool. Yeah, bikes are all right. You don't you don't seem to have a lot to contribute to this bike conversation. I really don't. I mean, I've seen there are little like city bike stands that have cropped up here and there in my neighborhood recently. And I've thought about getting one and riding one, but I don't know like where to. <laughs> Like, I can walk to a lot of places, uh-huh, and uh-huh. for places I don't want to walk to, I'd rather just drive. Uh, well, see, I don't have a car, so that's part of it. I guess okay. that. I guess if I had a car, I would not, you would be, not be like biking as much. having a bike renaissance, which is what's going on right Who now. Who are you sharing your bike with? That's my next, next question. Well, the city of Philadelphia, I suppose, mm-hmm. which includes, I think, some people we saw on that naked bike ride. So, I've... <laughs> 
and oh, no. trying to be careful. <laughs> there was a citywide naked bike parade, and some people were using the bike share bikes. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, you have to. You always, you know, those like wet wipes that they have at the gym for you to wipe the machines down with. I think they need to have those along with all the bike share stations. <laughs> it's a little worrisome but (laughs) i have yet to ride a haunted bike i think a haunted bike would be one that a naked person had sat on (laughs) yeah speaking of hauntings this is the third third Uh right the third of our four or five spooky episodes that we're recording for the month of october or as we like to call around these parts Spooktober. It's Spooktober. a combination of the two words that I think really gets our point across. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our point that spooking is cool. Yeah. Cool so spooks. It's a, it's a celebration of all things spooky. And in the, spe- the spooky spirit of the month, I have read for this week's show, uh, Jay Anson's The Amityville Horror Okay, which is which purports to be a true story. Now, I believe that the book originally had a subtitle that it was like the Amityville Horror, a true story, like right on the cover. Now, in the edition that I bought, there's no ebook version, so this is a more recent printing. Um, it says it's a true story on the back of the book, but it doesn't say it on the front anymore. Would you like me to describe <laughs> the cover of the first edition of the book to you? Yeah, and it's, then I guess I could just... Dis- well, the, yeah, this edition isn't that great, but... Okay. Yeah, it's Jay Anson, The Amityville Horror, A True Story. The mm-hmm. H in horror has like a devil's tail coming off mm-hmm. of it, and then there are just two giant flies that look super gross. Right. So yeah, it's like if, if you I ever that... you, if you read Goosebumps and like the mm-hmm. slime from the Goosebumps logo would always like drip over the illustration of the living dummy or the monster blood or whatever. Yeah, so this book is calling itself a true story and promising that the devil is involved and maybe some flies. Well, it's implying that the devil is involved. Sure, strongly implying, I would say. Yeah. Now the cover of this one is just like a picture of the house. And then somebody turned it red and then, like, superimposed some fire over the top of it. (laughs) Now, I will say, though, that that house, and this has been talked about and people talking about this story, it's in the, like, Dutch colonial style that has those quarter moon windows Mm -hmm. or half moon windows up top. I'm not sure which it is. I think it's a quarter. Um, Which kind of look like jack-o'-lantern eyes. So I know that in the in the first film's movie poster, like they made a lot out of those eyes, like the house looking like a like a creepy pumpkin. Yeah, I will say that uh, the website, the Amityville dot com, uses one of those windows as its browser favorite icon. <laughs> we should we we should uh, for uh, oh the word escapes me, but. We should let people know that that website is run by a man who has also written a book about the Amityville murders, and it is less, I think, a like reliable source of information. I don't think it's completely bunk, but I think he is. I think he, it's he has a lot agenda. of it is bunk. Listen, the dude has toward the top of the top of the page, and I don't think this has been updated since 2005. <laughs> but one of the links toward the top says "embattled author Rick Osuna exonerated in court." <laughs> it's just a so direct just, link to a press release. <laughs> so just take that, like the whatever he did, it, he had to be exonerated in court. <laughs> so take that. 
with however many grains of salt that you and want. yet this is one of the top like internet hits for, for the amityville stuff yeah so, so let, let's okay. talk about because this this story also has its roots in like an earlier story of a murder and uh-huh. then there's and then there's jay anson who's who unfortunately there's not really a lot of data about and then there are all kinds of people who have taken who people who have contested its trueness let's say let's say Let's so who is that. Jay Anson? Do we need to talk about him, albeit briefly, perhaps? Um, Jay Anson wrote this book. He's <laughs> primarily what he's remembered for. Um, okay. He was he died in 1980. Uh-huh. Um, his according to the paragraph long blurb in the back of this book, he uh, began as a copy boy on the NY Evening Journal in 1937. And later worked in advertising and publicity with more than 500 documentary scripts for television. To his credit, he was associated with Professional Films Incorporated. He died in 1980. So not a lot about him. He did, he wrote this in 1977. And then in 1980, he wrote another horror novel called 666, which yes. I do not think that's about a true story. But No, I, but I do believe it purported to be about a haunted house. Probably. I mean, I, it probably. It, I don't think it purports. Okay, fair to enough. Purports. I think it can just be about a haunted house. <laughs> Sorry, I, this one it, purports to be true, but that one either it's like a binary thing. It either is or isn't about a haunted house. <laughs> just a bunch of vague language about a domicile that people are spooked by. Wait, is this about a haunted house? So, well, I won't tell you. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that he. A lot of the TV documentary shorts he wrote appear to be about kind of what you alluded to about filmmakers, which is kind of cool. Like he made, mm-hmm. he wrote one about Martin Scorsese. He wrote one about Clint Eastwood. Appears to have written one about the movie Deliverance. Like it's just a one of those careers that you couldn't. I don't know that that's a thing you set out to do. Like I'm going to be. The, he was just like a working writer. Yeah, which I appreciate. Like. I think because yeah. like that stuff we. People find that stuff interesting, and it's rare that 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 someone who's behind that stuff gets any sort of recognition for it. So, mm-hmm. um, but like, where did this book come from? And and is opening that discussion, Andrew, kind of going to open a discussion about what the book is in general? Well, let's okay, let's talk about what this book is about and how it came about. So there is this couple, uh, George and Kathy Lutz. Okay. Who moved into this house at 112 Ocean Avenue. Um, and basically over the next 28 days, they are tormented by spectral forces until they finally leave the house. Okay. And this book is about their 28 days in the house. Okay. And um, it's, I get, it, it's, it's notorious because the year before that family moved into this house... There was this guy named Ronald DeFeo Jr. who shot and killed his mom, dad, two brothers, and two sisters. Yes. And uh, despite an insanity plea, he was convicted and is currently serving six consecutive sentences of 25 to life. And all of his attempts at parole have been denied. So yeah. Far. And over the past like 40 years, his story has changed about five times. Uh-huh. Like at so he can at first when it first happened he ran into a bar and said oh no my family's been killed someone help and everyone came and helped him and then the next day he he told the police that he did it 
And then I read that in like an interview several years later, he claimed that his sister did it, but right. that but his mom was involved, and he didn't want to like besmirch his mom's name because apparently his family has some mafia ties that people yeah. would get mad at. Him. Like, <laughs> like what? The, that because he said that his mom, his dead mom, committed murder, his the Genovese crime family was going to come after him. <laughs> Which seems a little far-fetched. He may or may not have had a wife named Geraldine who is also involved in this whole story. And, and multiple- has spent a lot yeah. of the years since, I think, basically selling her proximity to this murder case. Yeah. To and there, people who the want dates- to write about it. Like, I think that's where this Rick Osuna <sighs> guy got a lot of his information for his... Uh, oh, that's right. That's his right. exonerated <laughs> book. Well, and so it all goes back to this book, apparently, goes back to DeFeo's lawyer, William Weber, yeah. who helped him mount this insanity defense. Yeah, he was he the claimed, public defender yeah. assigned to him, I guess, basically. Yeah, he claimed that he was hearing his family's voices in his head plotting to kill him, so he had to kill them. Uh, interesting. Makes interesting. sense. I mean, yeah. that's that's what I would have done. Uh, and the, right? the judge, <laughs> yeah, you know, quid pro quo, uh, family needs to die. Um, and the judge threw that out and said, that's garbage. You are, you have antisocial personality disorder and know exactly what you're doing. And also uh, you'd like LSD and heroin a lot. That, yeah. So maybe you're, <laughs> maybe it's just the drugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was interesting, Andrew, I don't know if. I kind of fell down a, a legal rabbit hole here, not a very deep one, but kind of just parsing through the difference between all the degrees of murder. Do you know them? Okay, so manslaughter is when it's basically accidental. Right? Invol- involuntary manslaughter is accidental through negligence, through something that you did intentionally. So if you okay. were driving drunk or driving, you know, irresponsible meant to be driving drunk but you didn't mean to kill somebody when yes so how about you just tell me and i'll give you an example okay off the dome so third degree murder is it is voluntary murder but it's your crime of passion okay so i come home and somebody's eating the sandwich that i made for myself and i kill them yes i believe the, the legal statute is that you encounter a situation where a normal person would become emotionally disturbed so, so yes sandwich sandwich <laughs> example still applies uh-huh. second degree <laughs> murder which defeo is serving six counts for is malicious intent but it is not necessarily premeditated okay so you you knew what you were doing, you knew it was wrong, and in that moment you decided to kill those people. So somebody I'm living with has been eating my sandwiches for yes. many months. Yes. And you I didn't like I keep I keep yeah. telling myself that it's okay, it's gonna be fine, and then I just snap. Yes. And yes. I kill them. You didn't plan an elaborate like Rube Goldberg death machine. No, I gra- I just grab a ball bat and go to town. Yes. Whereas first degree murder Murder town. Yeah. First degree murder is like you planned it out and you are willing to like stew in the act of murdering. Um Generally, it's it's also like aggravated ways of murder if it's more complicated than sure. a gun or something like that. Somebody has been eating my sandwiches for months and I plan with the butcher to import very rare snake poison from the Far East. Yes. That but, I then work into their Munster cheese. Uh-huh. 
and mm-hmm. I kill them that way. Yes, poison definitely. Any any work of poison is a first degree murder because that mm-hmm. takes that takes. You don't just like oh, here's some poison. I'm throwing it at you. Like that's generally. Not. I meant to have this poison, but I didn't mean for you to drink it. <laughs> I don't think that works. Involuntary that <laughs> manslaughter poisoning. So that's he is serving six concurrent counts of second degree, which you know they he knew what he was doing. It was bad. Uh, they were all shot like once or at the most twice with the same rifle. Once, and there are like not lots of signs of a struggle, and like yeah. none of the neighbors heard any of the shots. Like there, there are some weird little incidental things that are kind of surround the case that I don't know. I mean, I don't know if those are being ascribed to demons or what the deal is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird case, and and. <laughs> The fact that he's changed his story so many times, like basically people are saying if he changes his story again, just don't believe him because he's probably lying. Yeah. 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 Like there's another one where he said his he said that his sister Dawn killed their dad. Uh huh. And then the mom killed Dawn and all the siblings. And then Ronald got home and like got there at the last second and killed the mom. Yes. That. Sure. That makes Whatever. sense. Whatever, Ronnie. Um, so yeah, this this guy William Weber factors into the story because it is, I guess, generally believed that the Lutzes came to him after they after they vacated this house, and they all worked together to develop the story and make some money out of it. The yes, whereas the cover story that I heard was. They got chased out of their house by ghosts, uh-huh. thought that perhaps DeFeo, who was in jail, had suffered from those ghosts, and that's what drove him to murder. Okay. So they reached out to William Weber so that they could help the murderer inspired by ghosts, because he's probably having a tough time because of the ghosts. Out of the goodness of their heart, I guess? Like, yeah, out of their we-got-scared-by-demons hearts. They... Or I guess charitably, like, maybe they just want to find somebody who shared their experience. Yeah, yeah. And so then, apparently, they drank a bunch of wine with William Weber and came up with this idea. He says, William Weber said in a, in a 1979 issue of People magazine, I know the book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. Yeah. Uh, it's a meeting he is said to have had with George and Kathy Lutz during which they discuss what would later become the outline of Jay Anson's book. Because, yeah, then they took the idea to Jay Anson. I don't think Weber actually helped them yeah. create the book. And they and, and, and George and Kathy Lutz didn't actually sit down in interviews with Jay Anson. I believe they just gave him a bunch of, of tape-recorded... Accounts or something. Accounts. Yeah, yeah, right. And then there's this other dude, this priest, who is, who's mentioned a bunch of times in the story, but... Like is kind of an idiot and barely factors into it in a in you know another more more pertinent way. Um, he's his name in the book is Father Mancuso. Uh huh. Um, his name in real life is Father Pecoraro. Sure. And he's given some interviews and things, and his face is usually blurred out to protect him or whatever. But he's he came and like blessed the house when they moved into it apparently because of what he'd heard about what was going on there. And mm-hmm. I guess that's tied to the tied to the murder stuff. And then he had a bunch of problems. Like he had the flu and he had blisters on his hands and he had all kinds of symptoms of some like paranormal something or other. 
And so he's just in this book, you continually flash over to him and whatever he's dealing with. And it's, it's, I don't know, this book. I don't well, know. Okay. Well, and we'll get, on, we'll get to the book in just a second. It spawned a movie. It spawned several other movies. Uh, and the first one was, you know, very successful. It came out a couple years after The Exorcist. And there are some actually some some allegations that they may or may not have been inspired by The Exorcist. Yeah. And where, whereby story. inspired, it, you mean they saw that The Exorcist was a thing that made a lot of money. Yeah. And they were inspired to make some money also. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so I want to see how spooky this book is and if it kind of makes up for its uh, dubious uh, beginnings and origins. But uh, first, Andrew, I want you to spook me with s- some advertisements. All right. Craig. Yeah. What's your favorite shape? I've been really into circles lately. Okay. How do you feel about squares? I think they're a pretty cool shape, though. Like, if you wanted to build a space okay. that was this particular shape, you might well, use a square. that's convenient because I have a message for you and for all of our listeners from the good folks at Squarespace. You know how to internet, or do you? Well, luckily, with Squarespace, you don't have to know anything about internet. You can sign up for free, build a cool-looking website. They give you a bunch of templates. They give you a bunch of blocks so you can just drag around. You get your site looking the way you want it without having to muck around and get HTML all over your hands. Ew, gross. Get it off. Ugh, that stuff is really hard to get out. It's, it doesn't come out in the wash. And then you get Craig, it all you, over your other clothes. We use Squarespace for the Overdue site that you we can do. find at overduepodcast.com. Um, and then you are you're using it for your wedding website, right? I am indeed. How's that going? Pretty easy, actually. I just have to actually write the stuff that goes on it, and it'll be done. But there's no there's no better way <laughs> to make Lorem Ipsum look good than to use Squarespace. <laughs> well, and Laura's actually been doing the bulk of the work on it and doing some layout stuff herself, and I don't think that she's had really any problems whatsoever. It's pretty easy to use. Um, and she's when, not a web developer. She's not she's a web developer, normal, but she's just she a normal knows, person like you or me. Yeah, and she, but she knows what she wants, and she knows what she thinks looks good, and she can kind of do it without too many steps. So that is pretty handy, if I do say so myself. You can start a free trial today with no credit card required at Squarespace.com. Uh, when you decide to sign up and make your beautiful website official. Uh, use the coupon code OVERDUE to save 10% off of your first purchase. Yeah, it's like That's 8 bucks 10%. a month. And you yeah, get... 8 bucks a month, and you can also upgrade to a higher-end plan. There's like a 16 bucks a month that gets you a few more features, and, and you also get a uh, free domain name with your if, purchase. If you sign up for a year, yeah. Right. Like you can go month to month if you want, but if you want that sweet domain name, pick 12 months at least. Cool site, Jerry made it.com <laughs> oh i hope oh man by the i really hope i really hope we can get in the game of just causing urls to come into existence can you can you register cool site jerry made it.com and make it point to overdue please <laughs> okay all right everybody squarespace build it beautiful hey 
and we're back. Oh man, I'm so spooked by that. I touched the eyeballs and the the spaghetti brains, and I rolled up my sleeve, and I was branded with a coupon code. (laughs) It was weird. It's really weird. So, Andrew, what even happened? We've talked about where this book came from, but like, what is the book? How does it work? You were you spooked by it? Walk me through this Amityville horror. I was not spooked by it, unless like being inspired to roll your eyes at the end of every chapter is spooky. Okay, because that okay. happened to me. Like maybe it was a devil moving me to roll my eyes. But plenty of people were spooked by this book in the seventies. So like, what? Maybe we may need to talk about why people in the seventies were so easily spooked. But first, tell me <laughs> what they were spooked by. So yeah, like I said, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children. They're all Kathy's kids from a previous marriage. Spooky. Yeah, they have just they've gotten <laughs> married. Yeah, in, in the seventies, I think divorce might have been spooky. Of course, I maybe the Brady Bunch normalized it. I don't know. And later, later by step, by the time we get to step by step, I think everyone's fine. The Brady Bunch was a pretty spooky show. It though. really was. Ambie Davis never aged. <laughs> um, so yeah, George and Kathy let's move into this house at one twelve Ocean Avenue, and from the outset, they begin running into these strange occurrences, like. Like George stops showering and shaving and he's cold all the time. He's just throwing logs into the fire. And Kathy like feels a weird presence in the kitchen and it smells like cheap perfume and it like hugs her. And their little daughter, Missy, starts seeing this like pig person. Cool. Named Jody. Great. And she just tells her parents about her imaginary friend Jody and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. But actually, it's like a pig thing. I don't know if it's just a pig with glowing red eyes or if it's like supposed to be a pig person. Okay. Or what the deal is. And it's told in this style. And again, it's playing up to the this really happened sort of thing. And I think the way that Anson primarily attempts to convince you that it really happened is by describing everything that happens in in as much detail as possible. Okay. So let me, I'll describe to you. Here's a scene where George is trying to find out more about like demonic possession and stuff because for a frustratingly long time, they're hanging out in this house. Like either George and Kathy are unwilling to describe to each other the things that they have experienced separately or they just like they paid 80,000 bucks for this house and so they want to stay in it and get the stuff out of there and. Or maybe they just don't believe what's happening to them. I don't know. They're really stubborn. It goes through a bunch of different cycles. Uh, This is George at the library doing some research. At the Amityville Library, George has been able to secure a temporary borrower's card and take out one book on witches and demons. Now that his mother-in-law had gone home, he sat alone in the living room deep in the subject of the devil and his works. It was after eight in the evening before George finished his borrowed book. During the afternoon, Kathy's mother had prepared spaghetti and meatballs that George set out at supper time. Danny, Chris, and Missy ate while George continued reading. The last time he had looked in on Kathy, she stirred a little and he thought she was about ready to awaken from her much-needed rest. Now he was in the kitchen and the three children were in the living room watching television. George had made notes while going through the book and now he looked at what he had jotted down. On the pad was a list of demons with names he had never heard of. George tried to pronounce them aloud, and they rolled strangely off his tongue. 
Then he decided to call Father Mancuso, which he calls Father Mancuso, who does nothing for anybody <laughs> every time he gets called. But like, so in in that little section, you get you get a bunch of totally superfluous details that you don't need about what the kids are doing and where they are about like that. His library card was temporary that his mother-in-law made spaghetti for dinner mm-hmm. that he like, I love he, the red spaghetti herring. He I love made, it. he made notes and then he looked at his notes and uh-huh. on the pad of notes was a list of demons that yeah. he written in his notes and like it's he couldn't have read it out of the book he had to read it from the notes that he had prepared it's so here's what i'll say about that and, and what it sounds like based on kind of where this book came from is that when people tell stories especially if they're not like trying to construct a good one like they're just trying to tell you what happened <laughs> to them sure and I, and I say this like speaking maybe as like what the Lutzes are up to. If if what you said is true, and they just handed Anson a bunch of tape recordings, I, I bet that he's like. And then I ate some. Oh, that was the afternoon I ate spaghetti, and I got this book, which I got because I got a temporary card because I just moved to the neighborhood, and it was like the first book I checked out. It was really bizarre, and then I went home. See, but that is the recording of somebody with attention deficit disorder like no, it's you're not, not that people tell stories telling, that have no no you're telling I, a story about how you got chased out of your spooky house by <laughs> ghosts and you're like you know what did we have for dinner that night oh was it sketty do we have that sketty and meatballs that night i think it was sketty and the kids you, the kid and what were the kids do the kids were watching tv and i was eating sketty and i was writing notes down and oh yeah, uh, I was so terrified by these ghosts and this like slimy ooze that was dripping out of a keyhole that I ran out of my house and never came back. People remember the weirdest things, Andrew. It's why like cops have to learn how to like ignore all the spaghetti stories when they're trying to determine if the murderer is guilty. <laughs> like he's they're the the witness That's, is just you know, like recounting you, stuff that happened. You've got a point. You know, there's that part of every Law and Order story where they're like asking questions of the witnesses and the witnesses was like you know they're like oh who did who had that gun and the witness is like well the story begins in 1987 (laughs) some people do that i'm not saying that it's good or model behavior (laughs) some people like you know if god help me if a 12 year old ever tried to tell me they were haunted i'd learn so much about minecraft in the process like yeah, i wouldn't even I, be able to I tell guess. you the ghosts I mean, that just, showed up all these people are telling stories like grandpa simpson like there's not <laughs> <laughs> okay so what else is going on he's he's re- he's reading stuff out of a book that's what a little else? bit later like okay. they're, they're just this book like i said continues in cycles and so george wakes up all the time at like 3.15 in the morning, which was a- apparently when Ronald DeFeo decided to shoot all of his family members. So that time is somehow significant okay. to whatever it is that's haunting this house. Um, he Yeah, he always gets up at like 3.15 and goes and checks all the doors like compulsively. The family dog, Harry, used to be really energetic and now he just goes to sleep out in the yard. It sounds like the dog is chained up in the yard pretty much all the time. And I think there are people who do that with their dogs and like... Don't do that with your dog. It's like, I guess it's like a, how you have an outdoor dog, though, for some people. I'm not saying it's the best situation for the dog, but I feel like if that's... If you're going to have that, if you're going to make that animal be like your companion, don't just like chain it up in the yard unless you need it for something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. 
Uh, there's a sewing room on the second floor, and there are always like flies on the window, even though it's the middle of winter and it should be too cold for flies. Is that a thing? In the book, it is. What? What do you mean? Like it being too cold for flies? Is that? A, yeah. Is that a thing? Is that well, like, empirically true that it it gets too cold for flies? Well, I mean, do you see a bunch of flies flying around in the winter? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> it's not winter yet, for one. But like. <laughs> Okay, so if you're up in an attic or something and you're digging around, like if you'd come upon a fly that's kind of hibernating, it'll still obviously be alive, but it won't really be moving a lot. It'll be really sluggish. I think they just slow down and try and find someplace relatively warm and just keep still. Weird. I'm not like a a bug man, (laughs) like a bug doctor. Why does everyone know so much more about flies than I do? Um, they find a small hidden room behind some shelving in the basement, and it's all painted red. And they see like Ronald DeFeo's face in the paint. Oh, they, weird! They also see a face in the soot in the fireplace. There's this little weird lion statue that they have that moves around, and once George trips over it, and then he sees like bite marks on his ankle. Hmm. How is the, how is stuff like that told? The stuff that's supposed to be like super spooky. Oh my god! So <laughs> so basically, <laughs> once you are about a third of the way through the book, every single chapter ends with something that's supposed to be scary and an exclamation point. Oh great! Okay. So here are I'm, I'm going to find a couple. Like here's one: as they entered the living room, Kathy's scream cut off the rest of George's words. He looked at where she was pointing. The ceramic lion that George had carried up to the sewing room was on the table next to Kathy's chair. Its jaws b- bared at George and Kathy! Exclamation point! <laughs> By the time Father Mancuso put down the receiver, his hands were burning again. God forgive me, he said aloud, but George is going to have to get help from somewhere else. There's no way I'm going back to that house, exclamation point. Uh, it's gonna, no. no man or woman had made those tracks. The prints had been left by cloven hooves, like those of an enormous pig. <laughs> uh, I'm literally just flipping back, like, one at a time. I'm going to flip forward here. See if I can find... Uh, he went up the steps to his bedroom, then stopped before he reached the second floor landing. George saw that the banister above him was wrenched from its moorings, torn almost completely off the floor foundation. At that very instant, he recalled whose voice had been speaking to him through Francine. It was Father Mancuso! Exclamation point. Like, every single chapter ends with something that's supposed to be like a terrifying revelation. It's like the end of every of every chapter in a Goosebumps book. Not to okay. bring Goosebumps up again, but... It's your schema for scary stories. It's, I understand. Yeah, it's it's a spooky, spooky series. So you remember that one where that like sponge potato was like living under the sink, and you had to kill it by loving it. Do you remember that one? No. That was a one. Do you remember the one where the guy was like a botanist and he grew plants in the basement, but and then he got like taken over by a plant that looked like him, but it, like and it ate plant food. No, they're all they're they're all told from the perspective of like a a little girl who's seeing something weird going with with authority figures in their, in their lives. Yeah, that's really what goosebumps yeah. is about. Gives me goosebumps. It does. So, did any nothing in this book spooked you? It didn't spook me. I remember last year when we did Spooky Hollow, Spooky Hollow, Sleepy <laughs> Hollow, <laughs> the Spooky of Legend Hollow. 
and yes. it had been built up and build up and build up and in the end it was just kind of a lame story about a wiener who got a pumpkin thrown at his head in the dark sure yeah <laughs> is that not inaccurate it is mostly accurate yeah okay it's yeah it's like but this, this is pro- it's, it's but this, this is trying that, to be way spookier though right i guess i don't I, think i think i could yeah. see how somebody who'd spooked easily or like if you're reading this in bed in the dark Okay, and you're kind of jumpy anyway, or you've got like an old drafty house. You could see the stuff about red glowing eyes and and statues that are in places where you didn't put them yourself, and you could get a little spooked out. Um, and there are some some like whatever is in the house is playing worse and worse tricks on them. Uh huh. As the book goes on, like, but that th- these characters are so frustrating. Like, so George comes up to his bedroom and sees Kathy like levitating out of bed at one point. Okay. Pulls her down, wakes her up. And she's like, Oh, what happened? He's like, nothing. Go back to sleep. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you talk to each other about it? I would at least ask her when she studied magic with David Blaine. Like I would not, <laughs> wouldn't just let her off the hook for levitating. Being haunted by like Penn and Teller or something. <laughs> Uh, George, yeah, George hears like a marching band in his living room a couple times. Okay. What are they playing? I don't, it's just marching band music. Let's assume it's <laughs> John Philip Sousa. Okay. That's pretty spooky. I mean, we played like Tower of Power music in my marching band once. <laughs> Could be like funk music in your living room. And then, yeah, there's another scene later where there's some green like jello-ish slime that's on the wall that kind of appeared out of nowhere. And Kathy immediately, even though they have been being like haunted, obviously haunted and spooked out for like two thirds of this book. Her first impulse is to blame the kids for getting jello everywhere. Kids. Why you play? Why you messing with the spook house? Spook house is good at spooking on its own. Stop and putting slime says, on the like, spook house who, walls. She literally says to them, "Tell me who did her. I'm going to break every bone in your body." So oh that's nineteen. Gosh. That's nineteen seventies parenting for you, <laughs> oh I guess. Gosh, is do they talk about DeFeo in the book? Some, yeah. Like George, when when unshowered and unshaved, bears a more than passing likeness to him. So, so they, I don't. I don't know if the implication is that if they like stayed in the house for long enough. That eventually somebody would go all murdery and kill everybody. Okay, kind of shining style. Yeah, I guess. Um, are there? What are the explanations for this in the book? Are there explanations there for what's really happening? Explanations like it's just it's just people failing to comprehend things or like communicate them to each other. Okay. So I don't know. They they try like their garage door gets wrecked once. Their front door gets wrecked once. A, like all their windows simultaneously ex- implode or something once and the like maybe it's vandals maybe it's maybe it was a storm that happened like father mancuso's got these blisters and the flu and he's like man i must just be really sick mm-hmm. and they all start blaming like otherworldly things especially father mancuso who who even though you spend a ton of time with him is not super active in this book he spends like he spends half the time wanting to try and warn george and kathy to get out of the house and half the time wanting to have nothing else to do with them because when he when he tries to intervene he gets sick and like bad stuff happens to him 
Okay. I don't know. <laughs> are there any... What are the explanations for the paranormal activity? What are the paranormal explanations? Like, who is... What demon they have like or... have, a medium come in and just say, okay. oh, I guess there must be some ghosts here or something. Like, it's it's implied vaguely... That it's on the the house is built on like an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And George finds like an uncovered well in the basement, and maybe that's where the bad power is coming from. But they can't. Every time they try and get somebody in there who knows what they're doing, like one every time, like they try to bless the house, something bad happens. Like they, Father Mancuso performs this rite, and then his his offices smell like poopy. <laughs> Human excrement is the way that the book says it, but like the little red room in the basement, and then also all of his offices smell like poopy after he does the after he does the right. So a ghost came by and put like a bag of flaming dog poop in his office. Not even a, like it, under his bed or something, just where he couldn't find <laughs> oh, it for a while, no. or like behind his behind a bookshelf or something. Oh. Poopy ghosts. And then, like, his room smells like poopy, and he's like, man, oh, it's so stinky. Oh, man, this sucks. This is awful. And then it's only at the end of the chapter with an exclamation point that he remembers that the smell of poopy is associated with the devil. Oh. Oh, that's why. <laughs> that's why we're all so ashamed to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, and yeah, like, I don't... How it's, does the book resolve, or there, is that there's even like a, there's an afterword? Okay, the, the resolution is when they leave the house. They just leave. and move to California. What is the worst thing that happens to them in the house that makes them leave? The last night, there is like a figure that almost kind of attacks the kids. That's the horror. Yeah, that's okay. like the, it's 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 a it's a long build up to that, and I guess. If you were reading this in, in smaller, more digestible chunk, like if you were spooked at the end of every chapter and you had to take a break and come back to it, I can see how the buildup of spookiness would affect would you, get to you, and then and then reach its little climax at the end. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's. And then there's an afterward. You said there's an afterward where he, where Jay Anson, uh, to the extent that I can verify them, all the events in this book are true. George Lee and Kathleen Lutz undertook the exhaustive and frequently painful task of reconstructing their 28 days in the house in Amityville on a tape recorder, refreshing each other's memories so that the final oral diary would be as complete as possible. So I guess that does help to explain the like spaghetti details. I like the refreshing each other's memories. Like, hey, hey, George, like, don't forget the spaghetti part. Oh, yeah, we did have spaghetti that night. You Who made that spaghetti? Him. Oh, it was my mother-in-law. Oh, yeah, that was your mother-in-law spaghetti. How is she doing? Oh, she's doing fine. She complains about the neighbors sometimes, but her spaghetti can't be beat. Oh, I like, I like it when she makes that garlic bread with it. And don't forget, you just got that library card yesterday. You didn't have it before the ghost showed up. Your permanent one is coming in the mail. <laughs> and so Jay Anson's little afterward is like, oh, the chilling cold that George and others noted is a syndrome repeatedly reported by visitors to haunted sure. houses who sense a cold spot. Um, animals are often said to display discomfort and even terror in haunted surroundings. So he's using these like haunted stuff touchstones to describe the the things that George and Kathy yes of course have told to him and 
And he says, what then are we to make of the Lutz's account? There is simply too much independent corroboration of their narrative to support the speculation that they either imagined or fabricated these events. And that's like his main argument against people who would say, wait, did you make this up? Yeah. Yeah. There's just too much evidence. There's too much independent evidence, even though all we have is like George and Kathy and then this priest. Well, but I think the priest later said that that was all bogus. I think they've... I think the yeah. priest has gone on record as saying that this was not real. It's pretty bogus. And yeah, the, so, so at the end, you get uh, this. This uh, uh, it's cited as analysis of an experienced researcher into paranormal phenomena. So, in other words, somebody who likes to part fools from their money, which is okay. my editorializing. That's okay. not in the book. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> Uh, Let's home seems to have harbored at least three separate entities. There's uh, two ordinary ghosts who, for whatever reason, remain attached to a particular locale long after their physical death and usually want no more than to be left alone to enjoy the spot they've become accustomed to while on Earth. So there are some more harmless events like Kathy getting embraced in the kitchen. Uh, their like sister-in-law is over once and sees this like spooky kid sitting at the end of her bed. Just like playing Pokemon, just like hanging out. No, he's like he's he looks lonely and scared. Oh, okay. And remember he's... that Are You Afraid of the Dark episode with that little boy who wanted his jacket out of the log? I and kept telling I people that he was that cold one. all the time. Yeah, I'm cold. It's I'm cold. So creepy. Okay, that was way spookier than this book, <laughs> by the way. Okay. Uh, the hooded figure and Jody the pig seem to represent a wholly different class of being. Orthodox demonologists believe that fallen angels can manifest themselves as animals or as awe-inspiring human figures at will. Therefore, these two apparitions may have been one and the same. Although George saw the eyes of a pig and hoofprints in the snow, Jody spoke with Missy and thus was no mere animal ghost. And the entity who burned its visage into the fireplace wall and dominated the hallway on that final morning may have simply taken a less frightening shape to converse telepathically with a little girl. Um, yeah, this entity, together with the voices that ordered Father Mancuso to depart and George and Kathy to stop their impromptu exorcism, may have been invited in during the course of occult ceremonies performed in the basement or on the house's original site. Um, yeah, it goes Well, so, on. Andrew, tell me this. Tell me this, because I feel like from the get-go, you know, you texted me earlier before we even recorded and said that you're rolling your eyes pretty hard at this book. I super was. What, where do you fall on ghosts? What is your experience with being spooked by the supernatural world? How easily do you get spooked by things even if you don't think you believe in ghosts? It's a lot of questions. When it comes to like ghosts and demonic stuff, I think okay. it's all nonsense. Okay. Okay. I think it's usually harmless nonsense. Okay. And people can believe what they want, you know, as long as they aren't hurting other people. Uh-huh. Which is where you, like, if, if there are cultists who are actually murdering folks, which I don't know that that happens all that much. Yeah. But I, I see what you're saying. Or ever. But yeah, like, if, it, if people want to believe that there's, like, a ghost in their house... And it's and if it doesn't if it does if they don't obey its orders to like kill everybody that they know then fine whatever okay or like we went on that like haunted haunted tour in New Orleans yeah and like that was fun and ultimately it just ends up being sort of a history lesson on on a bunch on, of stuff that happened different yeah. stuff that yeah. happened and then if you want to believe the ghost part fine but it just it you know it's it's fun but I'm not no I'm not buying the story 
Have you not been, even not even if I hadn't read all the stuff about how discredited it had been. But have you been in a place where you've been spooked? Have you felt spooked by a place before? Other than like it just being dark or or empty or something. And I've gotten and this is all you mostly from when I was younger. Okay. Like not not really. I don't think I get super spooked by and even then, I'm not being spooked by ghosts. I'm being spooked by like, oh, it's dark. Like maybe there's a rabid animal in here, or maybe there are people in here who are gonna do something bad to me, or maybe I'm gonna like step on a rusty nail in the dark. Like it's not, it's not ghosts. It's just like, it's real stuff, but it's, it's nails. Dark. It's yeah, not ghosts. It's tetanus nails. is real, Craig. <laughs> well, tetanus is actually one of a. It's a fallen angel that can take the form of a rusty nail. <laughs> okay. What about you? Why are you? What about your spooky situations? I I I don't know that I ghost man like seen. I don't believe that I have ever like been like, oh, that was a ghost. Though I will confess that I get I have gotten spooked by situations like in just in places where it's like I don't know what that noise is. I don't like it. Like that's that's the thing that'll get probably a rusty nail. It's probably a rusty nail. So like I'll tell the the theater that I work at like there are plenty of people who have reported being straight out haunted in that building. Um, a lot of people that I don't consider to be dummies and a lot of people who otherwise I think are, think are pretty rational. And I'm not saying that that means that there's like, yo, there's a ghost whose name is Steve and you need to leave him alone. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that people who believe in ghosts are dumb. Like I'm sure that there are, but I am, I am of the opinion that, Whatever you got really spooked by in real life, there is some rational explanation for it. Okay, that's that's fair. What about that ghost that we think lived in our one college apartment? That was mostly a joke, right? I don't. I think if Chris is listening to this episode, he should write in with this with one any of the stories where he got like locked out of his room when no one else was in the apartment. Yeah, the college that we went to, Kenyon College, which we mentioned sometimes on the show, is it's apparently supposed to be pretty haunted. Like there's this kid who fell down an elevator shaft allegedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were a few buildings that burned. Like they had a lot of problems with buildings burning. Yeah, and I think we got a few ghosts out of that. <laughs> yeah, we got some ghosts. We picked up a few. <laughs> Gonna get some hop ones when you got a building that burns down. Um Yeah, but the the interesting thing I guess about this is that okay, so they there are a bunch of reports of like damage to the property that is then repaired. The mm-hmm. people who moved into this property in nineteen seventy seven say that pretty much all the fixtures seem to be original and show no signs of having been broken or repaired. Um, none of the tenants of one twelve Ocean Avenue have reported any problems. Uh, who is it? It's uh, the various owners of the house since Lutz since the Lutz family left in 1976 have reported no problems while living there. James Cromarty, who bought the house in 1977 and lived there with his wife Barbara for 10 years, commented, "Nothing weird ever happened except for people coming by because of the book and the movie." Yeah, and they actually the Cromartys eventually sued the Lutzes, Jay Anson, and the publishers of the book for like multiple millions of dollars because the book was an invasion of like was sending hordes of people to their house mm-hmm. and causing invasions of their privacy and which this that led to an undisclosed settlement of money. <laughs> but even that gets like hand waved away by Anson at the end of the book. 
Um, there is no evidence that any strange events occurred at 112 Ocean Avenue after the period of time reported in this book, but this too makes sense. More than one parapsychologist has noted that occult manifestations, especially those with poltergeist overtones, very often end as suddenly as they begin, never to reoccur. And even traditional ghost hunters assure their clients that structural changes in a house, even a simple rearrangement of furniture such as would be affected by a new tenant, will bring a speedy end to reports of the abnormal. And of course, part of that that is sort of lampshaded at the beginning of the book because when they buy the house, they also buy a bunch of the DeFeo's furniture that's still in it or that's been put in the storage. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so that's that's it's very handy how that is all tied up. Yeah, with a neat little ribbon. Uh, what I, one small note about the kind of debunking efforts that have been done. So on that website by Rick Asuna, who wrote the exonerated this, Rick Asuna. Yeah, he wrote this book called "The Night the DeFeos Died," where he he interviewed Geraldine DeFeo and kind of has spent a large portion of his life debunking all these ghost stories. Um, one of the things that he talks about on this website in his section revealing the facts is that uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Andrew, is that the 250-pound front door of the house was inexplicably torn off its hinges. And he says, the photo below shows the screen door, not storm door front door, torn off its hinges. Gusty winds could have just ripped this measly screen door off. <laughs> It's <laughs> it wasn't ghosts, it was wind. Two hundred fifty pounds seems awful heavy for a door. Maybe I'm just maybe I don't know anything about doors. Well, it was an old house. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know, and all, all of the stuff about the like Indian burial ground seems to have been debunked by uh, the various Native American nations of the area, most notably the Montaukets of yeah. Long Island. So. And then the creepy little red room that it's it's alleged in the book was not part of any blueprints or anything in the house. That room is just, is yeah, it was part of the blueprints. It was just there. <laughs> There's no evidence that it was like added later. It was just an easily accessible small room in the basement. Yeah, there was like a whole other part where apparently the original people who owned the house had like started construction on it and then moved to another house down the street because there were too many ghosts there's like a real story where it's like no they just set up another house while they were waiting for their big house to be finished <laughs> it's like a, those, those are some pretty like uh upper class problems where like oh i'm just waiting for for one house i'm gonna build this other house over here yo dog <laughs> i got you a house for your house so you can live in a house while you build your house this is pretty good. So you're not spooked. You, I'm not you would... spooked. No. Okay. There's nothing horrible. Than spooked. Okay. I would. I. I would like to hear. And I say this. In, I say this knowing full well that anybody who's spooked by this is probably already writing an email to us. But if this kind of thing gets to you, and I'm not like no judgments or anything. I'm just trying to like figure out, like maybe if you are more predisposed to believing that ghosts are a thing you find this sort of thing more troubling or more spooky mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i want to i want to know if you if you basically if you believe in ghosts why do you believe in them like what is your experience with them and when you read stuff like this does that make you i don't know can you put yourselves in the shoes of the lutzes more easily or the whatever characters in whatever book yeah yeah 
And like, and you're not a scary movie person either, are you, Andrew? I don't like scary movies, but that's because I don't like the quiet, quiet, quiet bang. Okay. Okay. You know that the that whole the monstered skeleton in the closet that jumps out at you thing. Yeah, or that like every horror movie does. Herky jerky long haired girl. Like you're not a fan of that either. Yeah, no, just like whatever. It does no, it, does you. it unnerve you or is you just find it annoying? You just don't I, like the, I, you find it like I get startled by it. Yeah, I don't okay. yeah, like I don't I don't go home and then like start looking under the covers for creepy kids. Like Yeah, okay. I just I when I'm sitting in there I'm startled by it and I don't like to be startled. <laughs> that's basically the deal. <laughs> if this book had been more startling, maybe well, that's, rather than spooky. I'm I'm again gonna go back to a book that we read for last Spooktober. Like I read Rosemary's Baby, which I think was also pretty scary for some people at the time. And I wasn't like scared by it, but I did like the book a lot and it I it was because it was telling a more compelling story in a more compelling way like there were there were characters in that book who i could sympathize with and root for yeah whereas in this book i'm just kind of getting the diary of a bunch of spaghetti eaters (laughs) (laughs) well if you would like to pick a bone with andrew's uh unspookedness you should go ahead and write us an email at overduepod at gmail.com if you want to tweet us like pictures of orbs or other ghost evidence that you found you can do that at twitter.com slash overduepod i don't think ghosts use facebook but if you are a ghost you can follow us on facebook or a person i suppose at facebook.com slash overdue pod. I want to thank everybody who's been reaching out to us on social media this week, including Keep the Muse, Catherine, Chill Guy, Rebecca. He sounds like a chill guy. I know. Fuzzy typewriter, Kara, Sean, who just moved. Good luck, Sean. Uh, Emily M, Lindsay, Sadia, Michael, JD, KTB, I believe. Sophie, Willa Brown, Bella, Lily Calhoun, Stephanie B, Melissa, Megan, uh, and Andrew, I know you're going to talk about this, but we got some nice iTunes reviews from Pulsar Express and Brittany Prince Williams. What the heck am I talking about? iTunes reviews, Andrew. Well, if you go to our website, overduepodcast.com, you'll find links to iTunes and Stitcher and our RSS feeds. These are all different ways that you can subscribe to our show. If you subscribe in iTunes, yeah, those ratings and reviews help us rise in the rankings. They make us feel good. They make it easier for people to find the show. So we really appreciate it. When people just take a couple minutes out of their busy schedules and leave those for us. Um, You can also on that page find Amazon links to the books that we have read and that we are going to read. Um, If you click those by the books, we get a small cut of that. Uh, We also have a link to our Patreon project, which you you can use to support us more directly. You should head on over to headgum.com, which is the awesome network that's supporting us. Uh, I think they just released a new show called Shock and Awesome. Uh, which is mostly about music, which I don't think they have any other shows about on the network. So you should go check that out because it seems pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Andrew, before we forget, we should mention again that we're going to be at Book Riot Live November 8th, I believe. It's, the event is November 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday, Metropolitan West. Some events will be at the Strand Bookstore, but I'm not sure which ones those are. And we can get you, what is it, 20 bucks off? I registration correct if yeah. you use the code overdue at their website bookwritelive.com we're going to be moderating a panel which is pretty cool 
Yeah, it's going to be on uh, November 8th at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. The funny hour. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to be on stage with a few other storytellers. We're going to talk about alternative forms of storytelling, uh, web comics, podcasts, all kinds of different little platforms that people can use to tell stories. So I think that's going to be a good time. And we're also hoping to organize some kind of listener meetup at some point. So stand by New York area people and people who will be in town for Book Riot Live. And we will get you that information when we when we have it. Yeah. Also, I want to thank again Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, they're a great service. We we use them to help you find the show. Uh, and there's which... no greater recommendation that we can give than that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. So uh, you can go to squarespace.com slash overdue to find more. And when you sign up, use the coupon code overdue to get 10% off of your first purchase thanks to our podcast host spreaker you can find oh, yeah. them at spreaker.com they they uh generously host our show they host a bunch of other shows they give us like really cool statistics we can use to see who's who's downloading what which we get sort of vaguely obsessed with when we have the time <laughs> yeah that's, that's good. So so next week is the last official week in Spooktober. Craig, what are you going to spook us with? And hopefully we get some real spooks out of this one. I am reading uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Okay. And then we are also going to be doing a bonus episode at some point, or we may already have done it. I'm not sure. Uh, that's going to be a surprise that we'll tell you about later. Yeah. Ooh, spooky surprises. Spooky surprises. And I'm ready to read one that I really like again. You know, I feel like the last couple of books that I've read I've been kind of lukewarm on. Yeah, you've been you've been on a on a on a string of meh. I keep getting reminded like the one that people keep coming back to is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Like people have heard, I I hear from a lot of people who heard about that one on the show and then read it and then liked it so much that they went and read the sequel. Like I'm yeah. ready I'm ready to read a book that I feel that good about again. So I'm going to be reading Wuthering Heights in a few weeks. <laughs> okay. Hopefully that inspires. Is there a sequel to that book? Uh, no, I believe she died before she could do, uh, before she could do the planned sequel and the the trilogy. Okay. Wuthering Heights two, a new hope. I don't know. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out of stuff. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We will be back next Monday as we are every Monday. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.